Hi, it's Rabbi Jim Egolf. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to be looking at the book of Leviticus this evening, the beginning of Leviticus, and take a little bit of a walk into what Leviticus means and how we might find a modern interpretation of it. You can always reach me with your comments at 610-624-3441. Or if you want to email me, you can get me at rav, as in Victor, jim at aol.com. I thank you for joining me. Yes, tonight we start the book of the Torah that, well, most people in my synagogue seem to dread when their kids are getting their Torah portions. It's the book of Leviticus. This book contains all the details regarding sacrifices, offerings, and and generally those things that are what we'd either deem as sacred and mystical, but if we saw someone doing these things today, we might consider their behavior to be somewhat bizarre. While the activities surrounding the sacrifices might seem strange to us, there is a deeper meaning attached to this ancient need for the bloodletting of animals and offering their bodies on a burning altar. In the explanations of two commentators, there's, they both point to an emotional tie in the act of sacrificing. According to Maimonides, in the Guide for the Perplexed, the sacrifices were allowed to remain as a concession by God to the Israelites. You see, in the eyes of the Israelites who were in the desert, there were two aspects to worship. One involved idols and images, and the other involved sacrifices. Well, we got rid of the idols and images with getting rid of the golden calf thing. But God decided to allow the sacrifices, according to Maimonides, so the Israelites would be able to have a a religious practice that would reflect that particular time so they would feel like their religion was somewhat real and of course the sacrifices were to be offered to Adonai. Nachmanis or the Ramban viewed the sacrifices as imbued with um, an emotional and a um, uh, a, a metaphysical uh, ability. Um, uh, an emotional desire and a metaphysical ability um, but he had a, quite a different lens. He the Ramban, Nachmanides, suggests that the sacrifices were offered, and when the sacrifices were offered, they would, in essence, pull the Shekhinah, God's indwelling presence, closer to the community. So, sin would drive the Shekhinah away, the God away, and the sacrifices were to try to keep God in the midst of the people. It was this desire to bring the people closer to a sacred existence that necessitated sacrifice. The idea that we do things to express our emotions is not new. It happened in biblical times, and it also occurs today. According to the Ramban, the Israelites would sacrifice in order to reduce the anxiety that God would leave them, whether it be for celebratory reasons, such as thanksgiving, or for not such good reasons, such as offering a sin sacrifice, The act of giving up something was done in order to value the presence of God in the midst of the community. To sacrifice was to reduce anxiety about whether or not God was with the community. 
The problem with sacrifice reducing the anxiety, especially in the ancient times, is that it was reducing the anxiety of the person, um, but it did little for the animal who stood next to their owner while they waited their moment on the altar. So, are there things that we are willing to sacrifice today that are really worth the price? And what happens when we begin to talk about sacrificing, well, our values? I recently read John Stewart's new book, Earth, A Visitor's Guide to the Human Race. He goes to great length to point out that all of our religious texts go to incredible um, nth degree. He goes to great length to point out that all our religious texts teach love, tolerance, and peace. And it is very hard in light of these teachings to think about killing another person. However, an infidel is another story. An infidel is someone who it would be worth killing because to do so would be maybe one of the highest callings of a person's faith, kind of like a sacrifice. And what might be the secular version in our country today of an infidel? Could we, though, in pursuit of trying to protect our country and be Americans, act in a way that is counter to the ideals of our country? That's something to think about. What would be the secular rendition of an infidel? This week, Representative Peter King decided to hold hearings regarding the Muslim community in America. According to CNN, at times emotional and theatrical, the four-hour session of the House Homeland Security Committee included calls from moderate Muslims for support in overcoming extremists seeking to indoctrinate their children. In the end, Committee Chair Peter King said the hearing said the hearing that generated widespread media coverage, quote, actually went a lot easier than it could have, unquote. He blamed what he called the mindless, baseless hysteria in the media in preceding weeks for the controversial controversy and promised additional hearings in the coming months with the next focus, per, with the next perhaps focusing on the radicalization of Muslims in U.S. prisons. The irony of these hearings is that in many Muslim communities, it is the Muslims who are the first to inform law enforcement when radical elements reveal themselves. This is not so much the case, this is, this is so much the case that when law enforcement has sent undercover informants to try and stir things up, begin preaching bad things, many Muslims end up calling the police to investigate the agents who were sent into the mosques undercover. While there have been high-profile shootings in our country, especially the 13 dead at Fort Hood, the truth is that the numbers of homegrown radical Muslims killing Americans is relatively small. In fact, there was one study that said in the past, I believe it was eight years, that there had been 33 episodes of Muslims killing Americans on American soil, and then compare that to the 150,000 homicides that have taken place during the same time. Various studies have reported that since 9-11, the number of radicalized Muslims engaging in ways to harm our country has been arguably in the low double digits every year. With 2.5 million Muslims in our country, you can do the math. It does not mean that there are not a few, 
but to put an entire religion up for a public show trial to accuse and not prove a point is more along the lines of a Senator Joe McCarthy. As a country, we need to ask ourselves the question, in order to reduce the anxiety we have regarding Muslims or terrorism, are we willing to blame all Muslims so we can have the illusion, and it is an illusion, of being safe? Representative King's activities do not bring us closer to being a more perfect union, and flies, and his, his activities fly in the face of that statement, liberty and justice for all. Before the hearings this week, I wrote to Senators Toomey and Casey and Representative Gerlach. For the record, only Casey acknowledged receipt of my communication thus far. I want to share part of the letter that I sent to them. I went to Jacob's Camp in Yuka, Mississippi with a kid from the area. And while he was attending rabbinical school in Jerusalem, he found himself on bus 18 on February 25th, 1996, when a suicide bomber killed him and many others. As an American and as a rabbi, I have experienced the terrorism of two countries and have often found the experiences impacting my personal circle. I want my country to be safe and secure. Currently, Representative Peter King is planning to hold hearings regarding the Muslim community of America. I find his actions disturbing and un-American, as I would anyone who would use race or religion to target a particular group of American citizens. Recently, my synagogue visited the Devon Mosque in Devon, Pennsylvania. During our visit, we had the wonderful opportunity to learn, meet, pray, and just be with Muslims who also make their way in our country as a religious minority. I'm sure that you can appreciate the irony of being told that we go to war to promote democracy, yet when people come to our blessed country, they find themselves being treated as less than equal citizens. While this is irony for us in the hands of extremists across the globe, such hearings and messages proves their view that our country engages in a war against Islam. I beg you to uphold the oath you took Please do everything you can to stop or end these hearings. Please defend the rights of all Americans and uphold their rights as are guaranteed in our Constitution. Sincerely. While our Jewish community can dwell in peace and believe that we are immune from things such as Representative King's hearings, it is a belief that could be shattered. Ask yourself the following questions. Do we come closer to being the country we want to live in because of these hearings, or do we create the enemy we are seeking to avoid? Have we done this before to the Japanese community during World War II, and what was gained and lost? Would we consider these hearings less American, less just, if Jews were the targets? None of these questions have easy answers, and they will cause us some discomfort. Yet if we truly desire to come closer to the ideals our country stands for, we must engage these questions. To not engage the questions is to presume that our country, our morals, our ethics, are some dogmatic standard and not part of the ongoing conversation that is needed by a democracy. We wish to draw closer to that perfect union, but we also know that our perfect union has denied rights to Jews, blacks, women, 
Chinese, Japanese, Hispanics, Native Americans, need I go on. And now, possibly, to Muslim Americans, as we have wrestled and striven for what that perfection actually would look like. I ask you to act so that we do not need to add yet another minority to the long list of peoples and identities we have we have challenged as being legitimate enough to be called citizens of the United States of America. Shalom.